Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Here comes another episode of Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Bo Thompson. The best moments of the week, ending Friday, September 20th, 2019. 1840 originates in Hollywood. Here's another of our four debut songs. This one is the latest hit by that automotive band out of Boston. Their last time in the countdown was two years ago. That's when they hit number four with Shake It Up. They debut now at number 39 with You Might Think. Here are the cars. Casey Kasem, that automotive band out of Boston. <laughs> I love it. Well, that sounds like a band for Pam Warner, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this was my all-time favorite. And I was talking a few weeks ago. I think you were in here, too. It was the day we were talking about Guns N' Roses. That mm-hmm. we, we found out they were coming to Charlotte. and we were. I, I said, I remember exactly where I was. First time I ever heard Sweet Child of Mine. Uh. I remember exactly where I was when I heard this song for the first time. No, this song's not quite as bombastic as Sweet Child of Mine, but for, for whatever reason, I remember that I was, I think it was my first ever Atlanta Braves game in Atlanta. My, my parents took me, and I remember going, we stayed in the Lenox Hotel, and I, for some reason, I remember going in to the room, and this was back when, when TVs had a radio in them, too. You remember that? They had yeah. a little radio dial. And so I turned on the radio, and this song was playing. It just happened that it was playing, but I will always remember, for whatever reason, it was not something, some significant moment. It was just a, I mean, I guess it was. I guess it was the first time I heard (laughs) You Might Think by the Cars. But I've always loved that song, but what a catalog. And we're talking about this today because uh, on the heels of Eddie Money passing on Friday, and 80s icon. Now, uh, late yesterday, we learned that Rick Okasik, or Okasik, as as Zoki was saying, it's apparently acceptable both ways. But (laughs) the point is, the lead singer of The Cars has passed away at the age of 75. And it's one of those days where I'm going back through their catalog, and I know the hits, and I know know, uh, deeper than the hits, but then I forget just listening to some of these songs. Great stuff. And then John Moore tells me (laughs) what his favorite... Car song was. You got it over there? Oh, I got it over here, but I got it within this context. <laughs> Hi, Brad. <laughs> you know how cute I always thought you were. Oh, theater of the mind, right, boys? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Moore, moving in stereo. Thank I, you I don't for think that. we need to say much more about. <laughs> what, vi- what visual goes along with that? Great thank, song, though. Thank you very much. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. All right, Pam, favorite all-time car song? I would have to go with Drive. That's a good one. That was uh, perhaps, I think that was the biggest hit. 
I have to go back and double check that, but I think that was the biggest hit that they had. And I'll pull that up here. Here we go. Now, this is a way to really, you want to start off Monday in a chill mode? Yes. Go with this song. This is from the Heartbeat City album. I think that was their most successful album, all told, number of hits at least. Who's gonna tell you when? It's too late. So are you just trying to stay on brand here? <laughs> no, I, just, <laughs> I love the song. It just it gives me those feels. Brings me back to, uh, you know, when I heard it. I don't remember the first time, but clearly, you know, I'm an 80s baby, so yeah. it definitely made its way into several 80s movies, and I just love the song. You're an 80s baby. I'm an 80s kid. Because <laughs> remember, I used to read that magazine, Dynamite, for the 80s kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was on Tiger Beat. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I was not on Tiger Beat. <laughs> I like this one. Another guy took lead on this one. Well, like a Benjamin Orr or somebody. Is that not, of okay, that's not okay singing on this one? Uh, uh, no, nah, it's one of the other guys in the band. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> Maybe the only one <laughs> like that. Pretty good. Who's gonna hang it up when you call? Now, I remember buying this album, Heartbeat City. I remember being in Camelot Music. No, actually, it was the record bar at South Park. And uh, this was, it was on vinyl. Now, they had cassette and vinyl, but I remember begging my dad. I was trying to get him to buy me the vinyl album of Heartbeat City. And eventually, I got it on cassette. But, uh, and, and, and then there's Eddie Money. Yes. Is, does that one a strike a chord with you? Absolutely. That... Two tickets to paradise. Well, and then there's Probably this one. Probably shouldn't sing. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded so much better in my head. Ah, I was listening to WBCY as a kid. Eddie, Eddie Money. At the age of 70, and Rick Ocasek at the age of 75. I love this song. Little piece of the 80s, or two pieces of the 80s. I feel the hunger, it's a just don't make music like this anymore. Yeah. And I wish I could stay with the whole thing, but I can't. It's 628 on WBT. <laughs> I have to go back to work? That's right. We have to go back to work nope. now. Play some more. Recesses. Oh, 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 Atkinson wants some. Okay, we'll bring it back up. That's right, Jeff. Tell him how to do it. There you go. We'll, we'll, we'll there take you it, go. We'll take it to the chorus, and then we'll, we'll, we'll head back to Jeff. All right. Everybody, hang on here. All right. It's got a slow build. This is off. Stokes never lets me do this. <laughs> 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 this is when Stokes would say, that's a great babaloo there, Bo. <laughs> He's sleeping in this morning. All right. Playtime is over. Back to the news center at 628. Thank you, Jeff. Here is Jeff Atkinson. Right. Thanks, Bo. A sign of patriotism for September. You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Boy, how things can change in one week. A week ago today, our next guest was waking up. Knowing that he was congressman-elect, he had just won the election the night before, and now he is in Washington, D.C., fresh off his swearing-in last night on the House floor. For the first time, I can say, Congressman Dan Bishop, welcome to WBT. Good morning, Bo. Glad to be back with you. Terrific. You know, it does continue to be a whirlwind. So uh, we had the Republican conference retreat as soon as the election was over. That was in Baltimore, so he 
raced up there and participated in that, which was fascinating. And then uh, my last day in the North Carolina Senate was Monday. We had a vote there that was very important and then uh, resigned, flew up yesterday to Washington, and there was a whole lot of activity during the course of the day in uh, uh, culminating in the in the swearing in. And it was really it, – it, it, it really does. If you take a moment and and look around, it is a, the majesty and the history of it is is breathtaking, and and you really do have to pause and take all that in. Well, I really appreciate you coming on this morning, and I was uh, you tweeted about your appearance uh, last night, and, and you said uh, that you will discuss the swearing in and what lies ahead as we stand up a second to none constituent services operation. And that phrase is important, and I know it's important to you because here you have a seat that's been vacant, vacant for a long time, and uh, I know you're going to try to hit the ground running, but what is job one now that the, the seat is filled? Well, that is it, though. So, uh there are a lot of interactions between uh, citizens of a congressional district and the congressional office. There are a lot of uh, services and interactions with federal government that folks need to have prompt reactions to. Their service academy appointments, their benefit applications and denials, or vets out there who have been denied disability benefits and need to have re- reviews and people to advocate on their behalf. And so they're, uh, it's, a, it's a complex operation. Now, you've had folks in the interim who've, who've uh, done things, but we're in the process of learning whether there's a backlog of, un, of uh, requests and, and, uh, and getting the right people in place to make sure all those things are serviced. And really, that's job one of the congressman for this district right now, in my view. So that's what we're going to be working on as rapidly as we can make it happen. Of course, you leave behind uh, your seat in the uh, NC State Senate. Uh, any thoughts about uh, the scramble, as it's been called, that uh, is happening there uh, now that you're gone? Well, I know that there are several uh, very fine candidates or very fine people that are interested in um, assuming that seat. And I know that the Republican Party Executive Committee in Mecklenburg County will will act quickly uh, to pick the right person, and I commend them in that, that effort. I it is, you know, one thing that's pending uh, by virtue of the House's action last week. We finally, the House finally overrode, this is the state house I'm referring to, overrode mm-hmm. Governor Cooper's veto of, of a very good budget, and that was great progress. So now the time is at hand for the Senate to act soon, and that was one thing I regretted the timing of this is that I was not there to vote to override that veto, but whoever is selected by the Mecklenburg County Republican Party the governor's got to appoint them. If the governor doesn't appoint that person, they become the senator or seven days later anyway. And I'm looking for the Senate to act as well to put that good budget into law. I saw uh, also via Twitter yesterday Steve Scalise uh, tweeting about the fact that uh, both you and uh, your, your, your fellow colleague there, uh, Representative Greg Murphy, now signed uh, uh, the j- discharge position, uh, petition rather to force a vote on the Born Alive Act. So uh, very quickly on day number one, uh, getting into uh, some of the action there. Well, that's right. And that was an easy call for me. I was very active. And in fact, I was the deciding vote in, in the Senate when the House couldn't do it, but the Senate overriding Governor Cooper's veto of the Born Alive Bill in North Carolina. And I have no hesitancy whatsoever to say that basic decency requires that babies born alive after an abortion deserve care. And uh, and that should be mandated in law, very clear. So I was happy to join that petition to discharge 
that bill so that it can have a vote in the Congress. You've been around politics for a, for a while now. You've been at various different levels. Uh, you and I have talked about that. And now uh, you entered the U.S. Congress, and I was listening to your speech last night, and despite all that you've seen, you were taken aback by uh, everything, just taking it all in yesterday. At least that's the way it sounded, uh, of being uh, on that House floor and being in a room where, where, where so much has happened over the years. It, it, it really is to me. I, I actually think, Bo, that we would do a lot better in our politics if we would sort of just, the folks who get up here would just remain normal people. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I've always, in my occasions to visit uh, the United States Capitol, have been uh, bowled over by the the significance of it and standing in that room was overwhelming really was well uh you you've talked a lot over the last several months uh you know asking for votes uh for people to to put you where you are now you're there and and we just mentioned the fact that the the seat has been vacant but vacant no longer Uh, over the fifty thousand watts this morning people listening on wbt your constituents in district number nine what's your message uh, I'm going to be their congressman, all of them. And uh, those folks who are eight counties away down east, uh, they're going to see me a lot. And the folks in Charlotte, I've got uh, folks there that uh, I've not been able to reach or touch at this point in time. I'm looking to reach out to them as well. So I'm going to be the congressman for everybody. And, and we can have uh, disagreements over significant issues, but we can have uh, we can get away from some of the discord and cacophony, I think, if if everybody will put our, our best efforts forward. Well, we've talked to you uh, a, a lot. You've been very accessible during the campaign. Uh, uh, your, your predecessor, uh, Congressman Pittenger, was always uh, accessible to us uh, as a ninth District Representative, and so I look forward to uh, many conversations in the future. Congratulations again, uh, Congressman Dan Bishop now. Likewise, Bo. Thanks so much. Thanks to WBT. You're listening to Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Boy, you should have been here yesterday. So about, what, 8, 8.50 on the Pat McCrory Show? In walks, well-known, local, Tar Heel, David Chadwick. But he had a second Tar Heel with him. Ooh, Did you know about this? Ooh, Did you no, hear about this? No, no. Matt Doherty was in the house yesterday. Ooh. And he, of course, former head coach of the Heels and member of the 1982 National Championship team, but he is the guest on David Chadwick's show this coming Sunday morning, and they were taping a show yesterday. So I thought about you. As of all the days you weren't here, (laughs) look at all the Tar Heel power in here. (laughs) But I want to talk about the Heels and some other college football this weekend because it's going to be very interesting, potentially. Now, which game should I start with? I think I'll start with the Heels because you are a Heel. Jaren and you're Corsa. playing my song. Yeah, yeah my favorite song. <laughs> so the Tar Heel, <laughs> it's like you bounced over there. I would start singing, except I still haven't ever gotten over Al Gardner recording me about 15 years ago here and played. Keith Larson would play that back all the time, so Wait, I keep Al, my mouth shut. How did I miss this? This must have been while I was <laughs> this away. This was like my first year when I worked here. Okay, well, so. no, I was here then. It, it was Al, Al taped long, you? Yes. Somebody recorded me, or I don't know, <laughs> singing like at 5 in the morning, singing the Tar Heel fight Were you song. singing and, and, and did not know it was being yes. recorded? Yes. It was brutal. And Larson would real, um, often pick that back up and play that for me, much to my chagrin. How so. do I? If I, was with Lar- <laughs> I was with Larson then. How do I not remember this? I'm start. Well, you know what? I've gotten to the point with this show where I've started forgetting <laughs> interviews that I ever did. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Anyway, let's not bring that up. Why did <laughs> hey, I bring that hey, up? Hey, you did. You just gave... <laughs> 
The problem is I'm problem. hunting for it. I'm hunting for <laughs> yeah, it right now. If, if it can be found, John will find it over there. We switched the audio system a few years ago, so it's quite possible it might have, it gone, might have gone. All right. Well. Anyway, <laughs> things that Sharon maybe shouldn't have told me. Wow. Okay. Uh, where what? Man, you throw me completely off track. Oh yes. How about them heels? The heels tomorrow. Well, the heels have an interesting game tomorrow, and John Moore being the uh, App State grad that he is, and Sharon being the Tar Heel that Uh-oh. she is. A bit of a grudge match going on here. The North Carolina Tar Heels welcoming Appalachian State to uh, Keenan Stadium tomorrow. This is one of two potential. You know, if 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 David were to beat Goliath, it's one of two potential games like that with ACC connections this weekend. But as it relates to the Heels, three thirty tomorrow, right here on WBT, uh, App State playing North Carolina. This is a. Uh, I mean, we were talking to Jones Angel yesterday, and in a few years, uh, the Tar Heels are going to go and play uh, at App State. So this is an interesting rivalry. But are, are you at all worried about this game? Well, maybe a little bit, yes, because, I mean, App State's been known for you. They're, they're a winning football program. They've mm-hmm. been racking up double-digit wins for years now and put some serious scares into a lot of teams. And everybody, of course, remembers that big win at, at Michigan years ago. So You heard about that one, John Moore? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Familiar. 2007, yeah. Armani <laughs> Edwards. I want to <laughs> You can digress. You certainly can't discount them at all. And I I think that the Tar Heels, somehow, I don't know how they overlooked Wake Forest last week. But the guys admitted that they actually overlooked Wake Forest. So I'm sure they're going to be laser focused in on App tomorrow. But um, App's got some great players. They have a phenomenal running back who's averaging 10 yards a carry. So um, it's. um, it's, it's going to be a good battle. It should be a fun game to watch. Hey, guys, I found one thing that could put the heels over the top. If they listen to it in the locker room before the game. Oh, no. <laughs> rah, rah, Carolina, rah, rah, Carolina, rah, rah, Carolina, go to blank Duke. <laughs> that's just one of them. That's one See, of that's them. and there's more. <laughs> oh, there is. Okay. I'll start hunting again. But that's you. I had heard that one. What year was that? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't remember that oh, one. Oh, see, so you don't remember either things that happened. <laughs> See? <laughs> See, it's not just me. I wanted to be singing the whole fight song. So. <laughs> okay, so, that, so that's one game. So so you would say maybe you're a little bit, a tad bit concerned about this game tomorrow if you're a Tar Heel. I don't know if I'm concerned, but I have a healthy respect for App. I, I think that the Tar Heels win this one because of last weekend's ridiculous loss to Wake Forest when we didn't show up for the first three quarters. Ridiculous so. loss. Well, they, the offense wasn't On a there. Friday night, no less. <laughs> what was up with that? The offense was not there for the first three quarters. So I, I think that if, uh, if they can get started a little earlier, give Sam Howell some some backup there, get the running game going, then I think that we have just, you know, superior talent at this point just because of the, you know, discrepancy in conferences. So I would think that the Tar Heels should pull this one out tomorrow. But but I'm not going to be talking trash about App State because I definitely have some healthy respect for them. So UNC, ASU, tomorrow, 3.30, WBT. There's another game tomorrow night at 7.30. And should the Charlotte 49ers pull this one off, Biggest win in in, in ever, team history, ever. of course, because they're playing the Clemson Tigers. This was Dabo Sweeney this week. Charlotte is going to challenge us. Uh, this is a team that that you know it's always interesting to to kind of turn the page on Sundays and kind of see what the next challenge is. And, and uh, I tell you what, um, uh, th- this is a team uh, offensively that's going to challenge us. This is uh, the most explosive team we've played. Uh, to this point, I think they got like 25 explosives in three games, and uh, you know they put 41 up on App, and uh, App State's a, App State's a, you know they're not a 
they're, they're not a slouch. Uh, so it's a good football team. But just the biggest thing I, I'm impressed with is, is just how well coached they are. Uh, got a great scheme. Schematically, this was probably the biggest challenge for our defense. Uh, just in what they do structurally, uh, multiple personnel, multiple formations, create a lot of uh, challenges communication-wise, alignment-wise, creating extra gaps, um, you know, play action, uh, and they're just well-coached, know what they're doing. All right, so uh, the point spread for this one. The Charlotte 49ers are 42-point underdogs tomorrow. Ouch. Now, you may wonder back in 2007, John Moore, how much of an underdog was ASU when they played, uh, when App State played Michigan? 30 points. I don't know. I don't remember. You think it's, he thinks 30 points. What do you think it was, Sharon? You think it was higher than 42? Mm, No, I don't think so. I would guess App was, they were good back then, too, so. You would both be correct. They were only a 33-point underdog back in 2007. So, Clemson and Charlotte. And the Tar Heels take it out. That sounds really lame. We need to re-record that. There we go. I think we need to send it to Jones Angel and the Tar Heel Sports yeah. Network tomorrow. This will rev you yes. up at 5 in the morning. <laughs> All right. It's going to be a big college football weekend. See what we're talking about on Monday. We may if, if the Tar Heels lose, can we play that coming back from every break? Oh, no, yeah. no, no, that would that would be yeah. like no. pouring salt. Ra ra Carolina, Carolina, ra ra Carolina, ra ra Carolina, go to blank Duke. Wherever you are, whenever you're ready. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Sharon Thorsland joins me and the great Nick Wilson from WFNZ's Wilson and Parcel. Ooh, I've been upgraded to great. <laughs> I'll take that on a Friday. So on a Friday, now Sharon and I have been talking about this this morning, obviously because of what's been going on with the Panthers and Cam and last Thursday night and 0-2, the fact that Ron Rivera walked out of that <laughs> press conference yesterday has gotten a lot of attention. I would venture to say it's gotten a lot of attention uh, or more attention from those who didn't actually see it than those who did, because if you listen to some of the national talking heads uh, that probably didn't see it, it sounds like Ron stormed out and slammed the door. It's not exactly what happened. Yeah, it's not exactly what happened. I mean, I, I'll be honest. So we played it live on the air about two seconds after it happened, and I laughed because I've had that same fight with my wife a million times. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to talk about this. I thought I thought I said I was distinctly clear I did not want to talk about this and then she wants to talk about it and then I storm out of the room like I've been there before I didn't think it was that big I'm listen I think it's telling because earlier in the day about about 24 hours earlier Bovada had released their odds on the first head coach or the most likely first head coach to get fired to resign in the NFL uh-huh. and Ron Rivera has moved to top that list Really There's also a part of this though They're owing two yeah. <laughs> like as much and listen, we did some doom and gloom stuff this week because of Cam's injury, because of because of this and fallout from from Ron and all this other stuff. We, listen, there this can get messy real quick, but they're owing two, and they've got an opportunity against a team in Arizona who they should beat with or without Cam Newton. So let's talk about what could happen uh, depending on what happens on Sunday if they fall to zero and three. <laughs> versus if they emerge from Arizona 1 and 2 what's the what's the uh narrative how does it change on monday what will it be i think in most cases when a backup quarterback goes out there and is part of a loss the coach gets slack i think because this organization had every opportunity to upgrade the position and because ron rivera has been very vocal in his support of of Kyle Allen mm-hmm. i don't think you get that 
Last year, there was a lot of credence given to the idea, well, Ron can't help it. They went 1-7, and seven, but a lot of that was Cam Newton. We also swept a lot under the rug because of that. I don't think, given the way they've played this for the first two games of this year, I, I think Monday there will be a, the, the, the pounding of that drum that we just talked about with Bovada. I think that will be a heck of a lot more evident on Monday if they lose. Now, if they're 2-1, and one, unfortunately, I don't think anyone's going to be interested in a 2-1 and one team. Until they get back to 500 or until they put together a few good games, I think people will say, well, you beat Arizona, good for you. So I think, and unfortunately for the Panthers, they're in a horrible spot this weekend because if you lose to Arizona, the sky is falling. If you beat Arizona, congrats. You you beat a fifth-grade JV team. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and then there's, uh, are you 0-3? Because Kyle Allen lost yesterday, if it's Monday, or are you 0-3? Because, I mean, look, we all, I think, are, are – no one believes right now, based on the tea leaves, that Cam's going to play. But Cam, it's not beneficial that he ha- isn't going to play. So there's a, there's an outside chance. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I think the Panthers have done this uh, because Ron I, – I think Ron, at some point yesterday – I was assuming he was going to announce it was going to be Kyle Allen. Mm-hmm. He hasn't practiced the last three days. Right. I would be shocked if he did. But I think I mean I think what you're saying is a little bit fair. This idea of well, if they don't lose because of Kyle Allen, that's actually probably worse. <laughs> if Kyle Allen goes out there and is a lampshade, he's completely non-offensive. You don't you don't even recognize he's out there, and they don't play enough around him. They don't play well enough around him to win. That's a big problem because they have, I mean, this team has played well enough around Cam the first two games of the season to beat better teams than the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That the first, they had a chance to win both of those games. It might not have looked very good against the Bucks, but they were, you know, just a couple of seconds, uh, two yards away from, from a win in that game. So if they can go out there and put something together with a uh, a healthy Kyle Allen that's probably a better option, obviously, than a hampered Cam Newton. Uh, it seems like things would turn around just from a morale standpoint, that kind of thing, just to get them going back the right direction. It really, when when you get into the schneid that they're in, which right now, the last 10 games, they're 1-9, and nine, when you get into that, it, it's uh, good teams forget how to win. It's just there's something about winning habits and, and losing habits and how quickly things accumulate. Although, I'll say this, so I, I don't believe in Kyle Allen. I actually said on air earlier this week, I don't think Kyle Allen's an NFL quarterback other than the fact that he's drawing a paycheck from an NFL team. But I will admit, I will concede that I've been maybe too harsh on Kyle. He has an opportunity here this weekend to absolutely to overshoot the expectations. I don't want to hear, though, another Tom Brady. I don't want to hear another. I, every time we talk about Kurt, uh, every time we talk about Kyle Allen, we know Tom Brady. Tom Brady was a six-round pick. You know, Kurt Warner was uh, was was stocking groceries or a grocery yeah. store in Iowa in 1997. And what do we call those folks? We call them anomalies. He doesn't have to be Tom Brady. He doesn't have to be Kurt Warner. He just has Gardner to Minshew. not turn. Yes, he doesn't have to be the mustache. Just don't turn over the ball. The best of the week on to men. This is Bo Thompson's WBT podcast. Rolling on on the podcast this week, and we're gonna go north. Well to the north, actually. Vancouver is where Teresa Payton, our cybersecurity expert, is this week. Yes, it's, uh, it's uh, definitely cooler here yeah. than it's been in Charlotte. I bet. <laughs> and, and what's going on in Canada today? Well, we have the um, annual global event for the PCI Council and Industry. 
So that's the council that sets the standards for every time you and I provide our payment information or pay for something, they're the ones that set the standards for how to collect it and how to protect it so it doesn't get in cyber criminals' hands. Well, and with it being a global event, I know the Saudi oil sites being attacked over this past weekend, that has to be a hot topic. The the drone assault that has been linked to Iran. And, of course, this weekend attack ignited fires at that Saudi Aramco oil processing facility, interrupted about 5.7 million barrels of crude oil production. And that, Teresa, accounts for over 5% of the world's daily supply just right there. Yeah, no, and so let's let's just real quickly, a little history lesson. The world's largest, most devastating cyber attack at the time, back in 2012, hit Saudi Aramco, and it actually took basically 10% of the world's oil supply completely offline because of that cyber attack. Um, and the the actual malware was called Shamoon. So it actually happened on a holy day when uh, most people are taking off. Um, it was during the Islamic holy month of Ramadan, and it was absolutely um, a total, you know, kind of digital disaster. And this particular one, I think um, we have to take a lot of lessons learned out of what happened for Saudi Aramco. First of all, it's probably going to hit our pocketbooks and what we pay at the gas pumps and for people who use oil heating and gas heating, it may hit you in the pocketbooks there. But we need to be thinking about significant security events and infrastructure, and we need to be thinking about how, what have we deployed to actually create a geofence around critical infrastructure and critical national security events to make sure we're on the lookout for things such as drones that could be weaponized doing surveillance, could be weaponized with uh, guns or weaponized to be a guided, uh, basically a beacon guiding in missiles, which is what the conversation is right now. So I think there's a lot of lessons learned coming out of this. And, you know, our thoughts and prayers obviously go um, to, to the you know people that work there, the people that were injured and may have lost their lives, but also, um, you know, to critical infrastructure. Um, this is going to have ramifications for many months to come. I've heard a lot of talk this past week about perhaps we're in a new era now of a type of terror, drone terror. And, and maybe the question should be, are you surprised that it's taken this long for drone terror to be uh, a mainstream thing? I'm surprised it took this long for somebody to decide to leverage drones in a weaponized event like this. We know, as a matter of fact, I was flying out of Heathrow the day before I was flying out of Heathrow climate change activists were actually delaying um, flights because they were flying drones around Heathrow in London. Um, So we know it's been used for surveillance and massive disturbances. We know it's been used by uh, military operations by many nations across the globe, including the U.S. Um, But this is the first time you're seeing it sort of outside the realm of the traditional, um, you know, there's a war declared and this is war. This is critical infrastructure of a nation, but considered, you know, sort of a privatized industry. Um, So this is the first attack we know of its kind where uh, drones were used to actually guide in missiles, at least at the initial reports. This is where geofencing is so important, um, both because you can actually take a physical geography. So if you put a big ring around Saudi Aramco, you could actually take that physical geography and start creating geofencing to ask yourself, 
do I have digital signals within that physical geography that don't belong here? So you could actually, you know, kind of have a white list of good signals, a black list of bad signals, and then have a protocol for dealing with those signals. You know, is it just something innocent like a press reporter using a drone or is it something more nefarious? The other thing is social media. What kind of chatter was going on out in the open? We used to talk about this used to be in sort of private channels and chat rooms in the dark web. A lot of times these things are being coordinated and organized and people are being recruited and alerted um, on social media. So in the days and weeks to come as the forensics is ongoing internationally, um, I think we're going to learn a lot more about how this attack was planned, the models of the drones that were used, and what clues did we all miss. And you say model of drones used, it really reinforces the fact that drones have become a really domestic thing. I mean, people use them for recreation all the time. Uh, they're more sophisticated, and so I guess it stands to reason that uh, the, the two areas are going to intertwine at some point and not in a good way. People can weaponize these things, and the technology has caught up. It really has. I mean, it, basically, what used to be incredibly expensive and sophisticated technology only in the hands of the wealthiest um, around the world and wealthiest governments um, has now been basically consumerized. <laughs> and so I don't want to say like we all have a drone in our pocket capable of doing this, but it's a lot cheaper and there's a lot more feature and functionality and easier navigation of these drones than there's ever been before. This is something that, again, from the category of are you surprised it's taken this long, but Google uh, dropping hints that maybe uh, soon people will be able to search using screenshots. This um, is actually a little creepy to me <laughs> because... Um, <laughs> when when you when, say that, that's a bad sign. I just have to say that. Yes, I mean, I know why they're doing it. And I think on the surface it sounds incredibly helpful that if you take a screenshot of something that you it, they could use it to do a search but I think about, well, where did they get those screenshots? They don't have a Google van driving around taking those screenshots. Mm -hmm. They don't have Google employees doing those. Oh, that's you and me. Yep. We're the ones who took those screenshots. And now they've been uploaded. So when somebody else takes a screenshot, it's used in their search algorithms. And so, I mean, it just really gave me pause when I saw that. So there's, there's kind of something on the cool side because you can you know do a screenshot of maybe some toy you've never seen before as we approach the holiday season and say, like, what is this, and have Google Search tell you. But then you have to think to yourself, well, how did they have that screenshot on file, and how did they recognize my screenshot to give me search results? So I, that crosses the cool line to creepy for me. Well, and also uh, this uses or employs the type of technology, correct me if I'm wrong, of uh, Google being able to read words that are within a picture to search. Yes. So this is kind of that, um, this has really come a long way. So a lot of times it's um, OCR, so it's optical character recognition technology that can take a scan document. Um, if you think about like the National Archives, for example, they've taken all of these old documents and scanned them and they've been training computers with algorithms to be able to read, you know, old handwriting, um, which most Millennials and Gen Zs today uh, can't read cursive um, because we're not teaching <laughs> in the schools. It almost looks like a foreign language to them. And so this OCR has really improved. And so you're right. It's not a typed word or a spoken word. It's actually a word within a picture image. It's pretty incredible. Just remember when they say, where'd you learn that? Just say Teresa Payton and Bo on WBT. And so make, make sure we get credit. All right, <laughs> Teresa Payton, thank you. <laughs> thank you as always. Great to hear you. 
Well, thanks for having me on, Bo. This is my favorite time of the week. So um, take care. Be safe out there, Bo. All right. Ditto. Talk to you next time. You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. If I get another Three Musketeers, I'm going to kill myself. What's wrong with Three Musketeers? What's wrong with Three Musketeers? I don't watch Three Musketeers. Yeah, it's just nougat. Oh, just nougat? Just nougat. It is top three for me. Top three? Top three. Oh, God, give me a break. Seriously, I could just eat like a whole bowl of nougat. Straight up. (laughs) I could eat a whole bowl of nougat, too. (laughs) You're a nougat fan? I am. Charles, find me a place like that that specializes in nougat, and I'm all with you. (laughs) Hi, I'm Pam Warner. I'm a fan of nougat. You're a fan of Halloween, from what I can tell. I am. I am. I love it. I like being scared. Well, we were just talking off air, and I actually have a Halloween-related story, actually, that you brought to my attention, which I'll get to in a second, but then you uh, you just kind of said off the cuff, anybody know any haunted places? (laughs) (laughs) And I looked at you, and I'm thinking, oh, we have a few, and then (laughs) you're talking about going where there's like a guided tour. Right, right, right. I don't want to just like walk into someone's house and be like, hey, where's the ghost? (laughs) (laughs) It's Ding Dong Ditch. Yeah. (laughs) And Haunted Places with Pam Warner. That's a new segment we're going to have coming up. Oh, let's do it. (laughs) It's like pumpkin spice is here, so we should bring that. I I don't know. We're mid-September, so I guess I'm... In the, I don't say Halloween spirit, but pumpkin spice spirit, depending on what the pumpkin spice spiced thing is. Right, right. Because they can go overboard. Oh, know, absolutely. I, and I, uh, I, I'm, I have never tried the the pumpkin spice Krispy Kreme. Oh. Have you guys? No. Anybody? No. You're familiar with Krispy Kreme I, by of now. Of course yeah. I am. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a thing, but there are pumpkin spice. I'm going to tell you where pumpkin spice did not work, and I, I was the guinea pig and I tried it. Oh. Because I, I usually for breakfast will eat the uh, the Nutri-Grain bar. Mm-hmm. I like the cherry. I don't like much anything else. If it's strawberry, it messes my whole day up, but I like the cherry. Really? Man, do I sound like an... Get off my lawn, man. That's a great story, Grandpa. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> you can go back to your haunted house. But uh, but they they came out with uh, pumpkin spice Nutri-Grain bars. It actually sounds tasty. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> At least not for me. You can try it. Maybe you'll have a different experience. Uh, but anyway, so I I guess we're yeah, we're we're close enough to Halloween. But you you brought me uh, this story to my attention. A Utah-based company is celebrating the impending arrival of Halloween by offering up a dream job for a horror fan. Watching 13 movies based on Stephen King stories and documenting the experience. Uh, they're taking applications for this temporary position, which requires the winning candidate to screen all 13 movies before Halloween and take steps, including monitoring their heart rate during scary scenes and writing about their feelings of each film. I don't know when you'd have time to do all of this. Yeah. But now I've seen it's fun, it's interesting because you you sent me this link today, and my daughter has been reading a lot of Stephen King books. Really? And so after reading the books, she wants to watch the movies. So I came in the other day, and she was watching Carrie. But oh. not not Carrie. Like, there's been a remake of Actually, there's been two of them, yeah. I think, or at least a sequel. But the Sissy Spacek, what was it, 1978 or 9 or something like that? Oh. No, I knew Sissy Spacek was in it. But I had forgotten that, uh, I guess I'd forgotten John Travolta was in it. But you know who else is in it? The greatest American hero is oh, in it. William Cat. Yeah, William Cat is in it. Which I think there was a period of time where every movie made had to have him in it in the late seventies. <laughs> that was not a good thing. But anyway, so the chosen movies: Carrie, 
Children of the Corn, Christine, that's John Moore's favorite, yeah. Creepshow, Cujo, Dreamcatcher, It, The Mist, Pet Cemetery, Salem's Lot, The Shining, and Thinner. Oh, how many of those have you seen? Um, all except uh, Thinner and um, Cujo. Wow, you're doing better than me. <laughs> uh, I've seen I've seen Cujo. I've seen Creepshow. I honestly don't know if I've ever wa- I'd ever watched Carrie all the way through until my my daughter was watching it the other day. Uh, I haven't seen. And here's the other thing: Do you watch the old ones or do you watch the new ones? Because I was talking to Sean O'Connell a couple weeks ago when it. Part two came out. Uh-huh. There's like a, a a renaissance with Stephen King movies right now. Right. You know, Pet Cemetery and It, and uh, they got uh, a few more on the way. I can't remember their names now, but... I have seen all the originals, but I also saw the remakes of uh, It that came out. I haven't seen the newest one, the second half. You saw the first one, though. I did see the first one, and I liked it. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, I've heard and that I've if seen you, Pet Cemetery. It's probably one of my favorites. I've heard that if you like Stranger Things, then you will dig It, the new, <laughs> the, the new version. Really? No. I, mean, I dig it. But you've seen Stranger Things, right? I have. So did, did you Did you think they were similar? I, you know what? I really wouldn't compare the two just because I yeah. see things differently with, with Stranger Things. I mean, if you if you like Stranger Things, I can see where you would like other scary movies, but I wouldn't compare the two. Like That, yeah. that didn't even cross my mind when I was watching it. Well, you go to haunted houses that aren't even advertising. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Hear Bo live weekday mornings 5 to 8 on WBT's Morning News and 8 to 10 on the Pat McRory Show with Bo Thompson. Plus, on demand anytime at WBT.com and Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Missick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.